Hello and welcome to another episode of the Found in Translation podcast. My name is Anya and I hope you'll enjoy your stay. Hi, Emeline. How are you doing Hi. today? Hi, Anya. I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great and I'm really excited about this conversation because you have a really interesting story and you're going to tell it yourself. And I would like to focus on a few different elements that are going to be interesting for my audience as well. So we don't often hear about people diving straight into freelancing and especially right after they finish their education. So what you've done sounds really brave and almost too brave to some people. <laughs> so how did you decide to do that? And did you ever regret not taking up a traditional job offer? Yeah, so basically, as you said, um, I jumped into freelancing right after uni. So what happened is that um, so during the last year, I had to write my thesis, right? And we didn't have many classes um, on campus. So a lot of the time was spent, you know, in my bedroom, on my computer, writing and writing and writing. And I found myself like in this kind of bubble where I felt very comfortable because I could manage my time and manage my workload and things like that. And that I really like that. And I don't know how, but I stumbled upon um, some freelance translators blogs and that opened up like a whole new world to me because I had no idea that you could be a freelance translator, you know, like during my studies, um, the teachers used to tell us, well, you're either inside the European institutions, you know, because we're in Brussels. So there's like the European commission and all these institutions or you're out and you you're without a job basically. So when I saw that, I was like, well, okay, I think I could do that. It could, you know, could fit, you know, my, my lifestyle and my personality. And so, yeah, that's how I dived pretty much straight into it. Um, I graduated in, in June, uh, 2013, and I started uh, freelancing on September 1st. How did so, you feel about that? Were you scared? I wasn't scared. I don't know. It just felt right. And I was fortunate enough to be in a financial situation where I could take risks. So I know that it's not the case for everyone when they're starting out. So I'm very, you know, grateful that I could try it out and see if it worked, you know. It's great that you pointed that out because many people aren't in a situation to just pursue whatever they feel like pursuing. And sometimes it takes building an emergency fund a six-month yeah. fund or some kind of security to mm -hmm. to be ready to pursue something new. So, But still, what you did was brave, and many people in your situation wouldn't, wouldn't dare to do that. Mm -hmm. So well done. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I didn't even realize it. It felt very natural to me. But in hindsight, I can see that it was a bit crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and do I regret it? I uh, didn't answer that question. Sometimes I do because I didn't have any formal experience in the corporate world. And sometimes I feel like it could save me a lot of time now, you know, especially when it comes to SOPs and processes and things like that. Like most of the time I have to work things out by myself and it takes me much longer 
then it would take someone who had like uh, an in-house job, for example. Yeah, that's true. An in-house job, even if it's just for a short period of time, three to six months, maybe gives yeah. you an insight into SOPs, as you said, and other yeah. things and relationship between colleagues and so on. Yeah. So yeah. when it comes to the the rest of your journey, so you founded a translation agency or were you first working as a solo business owner or as a freelancer? Yeah, I was working by myself at first, I think for the three to four first years. Um, so as an English and Dutch into French translator. So I was mainly working, you know, into French, which is my mother language. Um, and then very organically, my clients starting started to ask me, well, you know, um, could you help us with this translation into Dutch, you know? And I could have recommended... Um, a trustworthy colleague, like I know so many translators, so it wouldn't have been an issue. But, uh, and that's what I did um, at first. But then, you know, the the request kept on coming. And so I thought, well, there's an opportunity there because, you know, some of the clients needed translations into multiple languages. So, you know, having to deal with that many people at a time could quite become a, a, a hassle for them, especially when they're busy. So, yeah, that's why I started the, the agency, like to become their single point of contact. That's great. And I need to point out how beneficial agencies can be, not only when it comes to our line of work, translation, but also when, it, when you're purchasing a car, an apartment, or anything that requires multiple people that requires a chain of people so well done for saying that and for offering your clients a chance to get everything in one place so that's really commendable so how did you start to create your freelance collaborator network ah that's a good question isn't it um i think it fell into place quite naturally um i as I said, I know I know a lot of translators, so I've met most of them, especially those who live in Belgium. Um, I've met them, you know, at networking events and things like that, or I've met them online or they've been recommended to me. So, uh, yeah, that's how. And does it is it difficult to manage multiple people on a single project when you receive larger projects? It can be, especially when I'm not working on the French translation myself. So I don't really know what's in the content, you know, and sometimes we realize something about the source text, like after a couple of days, and it's one of the translators that tells me this. And so I have to warn all the other translators about this particular thing. So sometimes it's like a lot of back and forth, but yeah. Do you have a favorite tool for the streamlined process? Um, not really. I mean, we do use Trados, which is like the standard cat tool in the industry. Um, but I don't use online cat tools. This is something that I want to explore more in the future because I think it could save us a lot of time because everything is online. And I know a lot of translators want to switch to Apple and MacBooks. So this could be... Uh, beneficial. Um, but yeah, that's the main tool we use so far. 
Yeah, and for those listeners who aren't aware, uh, CAD tools are computer-assisted technologies, right? Because yeah. we, we don't have translators only listening to this podcast. And I believe that when we share different tools that we can all use, that can be really useful to a lot of people. Because I've heard, I found out about many tools from other people who are not directly in involved in translation. So when it comes to your procedures, I think tools such as Slack or Asana or Trello could be useful. I mean, I do have my own tools that I use for myself and just to, you know, manage my whole life. And that's, it's, it's actually um, a software that's not really well known, I feel, and it's called Sansana. Don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't, no. So it's both a calendar and a task management. And so the way it's designed um, lets you create tasks that you can drag and drop in your calendar. And this is just life-saving to me because I need to have like the full picture of my day. Like at that time you're doing this and at that time you're doing that. Because there are so many things to, to take care of in a day, right? So yeah, that's the main tool I use. It's the main productivity tool that I use. I also use Notion, but that's more of a knowledge database. Um, what else do I use? I think that's it. I use Slack with my uh, virtual assistant who helps me with uh, admin and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Those are the main three. Awesome. I had no idea I had a virtual assistant, so I'm so glad you brought this up. Can you please talk, talk about the process of finding a virtual assistant? Who needs one? Um, mm. Why do you think that's useful? Um, she came recommended uh, via uh, productivity coach, who's also a friend of mine. Um, and I needed someone um, who could, you know, tackle all the invoicing, all the reminder, the payment reminders, um, but also um, some of the communication with uh, the suppliers, with the, the, the translators that we work with. Um, so yeah, I outsourced this to her. She does so many other things like, you know, entering the projects in our, uh, database. Um, yeah, so many things I can think of right now, but she's doing a really great job. And so, yeah, I, I decided to, um, work with a virtual assistant when it became too much for me, like, um, there's only so, so many things that you can do in a day, as I said. And so admin is really not my forte. It's really not my cup of tea either. So uh, yeah, I knew that this is the, the first thing that I wanted to outsource. So when it comes to scaling up, this is another interesting element of your business. You created an agency model, as you said, and then at some point you returned to working as a solo business owner mm -hmm. uh, and you recently told me that you went back to the agency model so could you please tell me a bit about your journey what led to one thing what led to another and so on yeah so when things started to grow basically i had too much work into french and so i could not uh, take care of that uh, 
on my own. So I could have outsourced a lot of it, but from a financial point of view, it made more sense to hire someone in-house. So that's what I did. And I had an employee for um, a little under a year. And I found out that I really, really didn't like being a boss, <laughs> which is <laughs> a bit of a pity. I, I agree. But yeah, I'm the type of person who needs to try things out to see, you know, if she likes it. So that's what I did. And it turned out that I didn't like it. Um, it's not that necessarily that I didn't like it, but I felt like I didn't have the leadership that's needed in in a situation when you hire someone, right? And it was her first job for her as well. So I think she needed a lot of guidance and I didn't have that uh, space and that time to provide this to her. So um, after I think nine months, we decided to part ways because she wanted to try something else um, to, um, on her end. So it was, you know, a, a mutual agreement. And so I, I was also, I have to, to, to mention that I was pregnant, uh, at the time and that, you know, I needed to manage my own workload, manage her workload, you know, trying to make sure that, um, she felt at ease and that she didn't have too much work and not too little work. And I ended up micromanaging, which is very bad. I know. Uh, <laughs> this is so fun you're calling yourself out <laughs> i know but i had a lot of time to think about what happened so yeah these are the lessons the the, the, the you know the, the takeaways from this yeah. experience um so yeah i lost track of what I, I was saying um you were pregnant you wanted to yeah. relax and balance it all yeah definitely and i realized that i was always in, you know, helicopter mode, you know, like always having a look at what was going on. And I never really disconnected. Um, and so I saw that it was going to be much healthier for me to take a step back, downsize, go back to a much healthier pace and not always wanting to grow and grow and grow, you know, month after month, which is something quite hard because, you know, at the time I was surrounded by people who were really like in growth phase and, you know, we have to do better each month. But really, I don't think it was for me at the time. So yeah, as I said, I scaled down, went back to a much simpler model, which was basically what I used to do before uh, becoming an agency. So working by myself. I outsourced a little, but a lot less. And yeah, until last summer, where I realized that I was really missing the challenge, you know, like receiving requests like, oh, we need this translation by the end of this week. Can you help us? You know, that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm going back to it, relaunching the agency, but on a more much simpler um, structure, you know, where everyone can bring their expertise to the table and definitely not hiring anyone in-house. <laughs> so does your agency model look different compared to the first agency model you had in place? What would you say are the biggest differences? I'm trying to make things a lot 
simpler. And so that means sounds a bit counterintuitive, but with less processes. Because right now it's just me, my virtual um, assistant, and a cool, uh, like a small team of freelancers. So we don't really need that many processes in place, right? As long as everyone knows what they need to do, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. That's true, because I had some experience with a large translation agency here in Croatia, and every time I... I got an inquiry from them to do a project and they asked me about my availability. I always got contacted by a different person mm -hmm. every single time. So now I have like five or six people that I can recall contacting me, which is like, it is too much. So, so even for me, I can, I can imagine what it looks like for them. Yeah, they're a huge agency. So yeah. I like the fact that you're emphasizing simplicity because growth doesn't always have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be. And also small can be good, you know. Small, yeah. As you say, as we say in French, petit mais costaud. So that means like small but mighty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think there's power in uh, being small and actually knowing who you work with. That is, I mean, it's essential in our business, I feel like. I know this is a deep question, but how do you develop trust with people and your colleagues, collaborators? How do you trust that they will do their job, especially, as you said earlier, if they are not translating into French, which is your mother mm -hmm. tongue? That's a good question. It's actually a question that I feel like most clients uh, are asking themselves because most of them are you know, need translations into languages that they don't speak. So it's hard for them to assess the quality. Um, how do I build trust? Um, I think trust comes with time. Um, and also the translation industry is a very small world. So when you know there's going to be um, problems, like quality problems with uh, translators, I feel like people will just talk in a way. You know, so you know um, which translator is reliable and which translators are less reliable. And so, you know, it takes um, it takes a good network, basically, um, to know who you want to work with. And also what we do, I mean, most agencies do it, but um, I feel like this needs to be mentioned. So we only work with... Uh, translators who are specialized in uh, certain fields. So, for example, if your clients, if a client needs legal translations, well, we're not going to work with a technical translator, right? We're going to work with a translator who actually knows the field. And in legal translation, there are so many subfields, like there are contracts and different type of, of contracts. So, we actually ask. Um, for their CV, but also for credentials, especially if it's someone that I don't know at all. Um, I always make sure that I ask them for credentials and people who could, you know, recommend them because they've worked with them. Yeah, that's a good process. And it's still, there is still room for errors, which is okay. And we need to deal with it, right? Yeah, and that's why we have like this process of in-house revision. 
So in-house revision and quality assurance as well. So the each translation is checked at least twice before being sent out to the client. Yeah, there are a lot of moving parts in this process. So I'm curious to know, how do you balance all of it? Do you have strict working hours, of course, for your employees, but for yourself as well? How do you balance your personal and and business life? Hmm. Tough question. Or do you? Big question. <laughs> ah, or do I? That's the question. <laughs> You know, I mean, I try to stick to uh, nine to five um, because I do have a family life. I have three kids, so they help me balance things out. You know, um, during the day, anything can happen. During the workday, um, anything can happen. And it's go, go, go. But before nine and after five, I'm basically under the radar. And, you know, uh, this time is uh, devoted to them. But yeah, things happen and sometimes I have to work late or wake up earlier, you know, to, to finish something. But yeah, I try not to. I try to, to stick to a healthy, healthy lifestyle, let's say. Yeah. Do you work during the weekend then? I actually had to last weekend, but I really yeah. try to avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. Boundaries are really important to to put in place for ourselves first and then mm-hmm. communicate them to our clients. Are your clients aware of your boundaries? Do they ever try to misuse your availability, so to speak? No. I mean, if I have to work during the weekend, that's something that I will... Um, tell them and offer them because I like to help out. Um, but no, I've never, never had that from the client, thankfully. Yeah. So what is your biggest struggle at the moment? Uh, so I think is I it this the... one? <laughs> Boundaries. <laughs> uh, no, not really. Um, I think I have the superwoman syndrome. You know what that is? So, yeah, I've you know, heard wanting it. to do all the things all the time, that's a real struggle for me because, yeah, I don't know. I, um, I think I have a hard time asking for help. And, you know, I, I'm waiting until I'm on the verge of breaking down to actually ask for help, which is very bad, uh, both in my, in, in my business and in my personal life, I have my husband telling me like, but why don't you tell me I'm here to help? And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. But yeah. So I think it's definitely that. Yeah. The wanting to do everything because I know that I no, I don't know. I think it's going to be more efficient if I do it myself. Yeah. I've heard many people struggle with it and I struggle with that as well on a daily basis. Yes, of oh. course, of course, because <laughs> I know my processes, I know what I can do, and yeah. I know the way in which that should be done. So I completely relate to that, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, we tend to think that our way is the best way, but it's not, not necessarily true. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when it comes to both your your business uh, in terms of your own work and others work do you like predictability always the same clients the same types of projects or do you like to break that routine i think it's a it's a mix of both 
but I like things when they're dynamic and always changing. Like if I have a look at my business over the years, my services have changed and evolved and I've shaped them according to either my intuition or basically, I'm not going to say my mood, but like the what I wanted to do, basically. So that means, you know, when I was uh, growing the agency, I stopped offering copywriting services because I really didn't have the, 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 the mind space for that, you know, because it takes a lot of creativity, a lot of inspiration. And I was totally focused on the processes and, you know, organizing everything. So I stopped doing that. I paused that uh, for a couple of years. Um, but I've recently started offering them again because now things are a bit more, you know, simpler and I can breathe again. So, yeah, um, I like it when things are dynamic. Yeah. I really like to listen to you and your evolution throughout the years. So you're naturally following the the stages of your life. So even though some people who are listening might not be parents, they are going through various things in life and we need to act accordingly in our business as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. it sounds simple when we say it, but <laughs> I know it's not. But no, well it's done. true. Sorry. Uh, no, I mean, it's true um, because actually one of the reasons I wanted to have a flexible uh, f- uh, flexible job was because, you know, during my last year of uni, actually, I should have mentioned this uh, earlier, but during my last year of uni, I was pregnant and I knew that I wanted to be there for my daughter until she went to daycare. And so I could not picture myself, you know, having a nine to five and leaving the house every single day, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that you changed your services over time. I would like to speak about the inclusive language I saw on your website. You told me recently that you offer inclusive language services. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know how much French you know, but... um... None. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'll, I'll give you the full story then. So basically, French is a gendered language. So that means that we have the masculine form and the the, the feminine form, right? So um, this means that we add markers to nouns, adjectives, participles, things like that, uh, to either you know show that the, this word is masculine or feminine, right? So if I take an example to make things more concrete, let's say that um, I want to use the adjective for brave, which is courageux in French. So courageux is the masculine singular form, right? If I want to say that this woman is brave, you're going to, to use courageuse. So the X at the end becomes an SE, right? So far, so good. Yeah. So now let's imagine that we have a group of people. Okay, so multiple people. And these people are all brave. So if this group of people only includes men, we're going to use the same word as uh, in the masculine singular form, which is courageux. All right. If the group only includes women, we're going to use the same word as in the singular, but we're going to use an S at the end because it's a plural form. So courageux. All right. But now if we have a mix of men and women in the group, What are we going to use? 
we're going to use courageux, which is the masculine form. And that's whether there's one woman, five women, or, you know, uh, nine women in the group. And so I think that language is, how can I say this? Um, language has a lot of impact on the way we think about things, you know, because when you're using the word courageux to describe a group, what are you going to have in mind? Like a group of men. You don't really know if there are women, but you're going automatically to, to think about a group of men, right? So yeah, that's that's what we mean by inclusive language. You know, trying to find alternatives um, to make women more represented in language. There's a lot of research on this, you know, like um, the impact that language has on mental representations. Um, for example, there's the uh, a psycholinguist, and I think he's Swiss. Um, he's called Pascal Gijax. He has done a lot of work on this, um, trying to prove that, yeah, like using the masculine form has an impact on how we represent things. Yeah, there's a lot of examples of such words in in both Croatian and English. And mm -hmm. some of the words or even occupations are expressed in masculine form only. Mm -hmm. So have you noticed the the rays of awareness in recent years and have you seen have you noticed other agencies or translators doing the same focusing more on that um translators definitely um especially in french i feel like agencies um i think they adapt to what their clients want which is the way to go, I think. That's certainly what I'm doing too. I'm trying to advise them as much as possible, you know, depending on who the target audience is, um, depending on their brand, etc. Sometimes it might, might not work for, for them, you know, um, because they're working in a very formal industry and it's not, either it's not going to work or they're going to be seen differently. So this might be interesting, but they need to be aware of this. Yeah, people's perception of differences are really interesting to to notice. And we're mostly not aware of those until we get into a certain profession or until we get exposed to too many different people with different opinions and points of view. So mm -hmm. I think what you're doing is great. And I think we need even more initiatives like this. And do you think you're able to do this precisely because you have a translation agency, you're working with, with a smaller number of freelancers? Mm. So maybe you have more freedom to implement those things. We certainly do. And also inclusivity uh, is different um, depending on each language. I don't know how it how things are in Croatian. Is there, uh, do you speak about inclusion? Yeah, sometimes I have seen conversations arising in the last few years, but mm -hmm. still each language is different. And what they means in English is a bit different or sounds a bit different in Croatian. There is not yeah. a direct equivalent. So I recently saw a post and 
many people agreed that we should just write person instead of they, okay. the yeah. they equivalent. So yeah, it's really difficult to pinpoint. Yeah, the alternatives are are very different from one language to to another. It's the same in French. We don't have a neutral pronoun, which is actually the whole debate. Is the masculine form the neutral form? We tend to think not, but people who are, you know, against inclusion think that it is, you know? So it's a there's a whole debate in French because we have the French Academy, you know, which is very strict and very formal. So yeah, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, there, there is actually um, a neutral pronoun that's been suggested um, in the past couple of years, which is yel. So it's a, a mix of il and el, which is, um, well, he and she. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's m- mainly used by the LGBT community. So it it can't be used for everyone and certainly not for, you know, the larger public. Yeah. And this is a great segue into my next question, because this reminded me of your newsletter, Coffee and Translation. Do mm-hmm. you, how did you decide to start your newsletter? And do you speak about these topics or strictly business related topics? I think, I think I talk about a lot of things. I, I talk about marketing, I talk about what I've been up to. And basically, I started it because I wanted to write long form content. Because, you know, when you're posting on social media, you're trying to grab your audience's attention and you're limiting yourself in a way because you have to be, you know, straight to the point and um, smaller content is preferred, I feel like, especially on LinkedIn and, you know, Instagram. And yeah, so, yeah, uh, I started the newsletter because, you know, I just wanted to be, you know, in front of my computer, writing, being in the flow and, you know, creating a small community and being able to share tips with them. So that was the main idea. And what benefits have you seen from from launching a newsletter? Well, actually, I got a client out of it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And it, it happened, what? It happened, yeah, three weeks ago, I think. Um, yeah. So I, at the end of uh, the newsletter, I have like a small text that says something like, you know, this newsletter is not a one-way street. If something spoke to you, feel free to reply um, uh, and things like that. And so, yeah, uh, sometimes people actually do reply, which is always nice because it's nice to see that they're taking the time, you know, to actually say, well, this I find really re- interesting or what are your thoughts on this? And, you know, they want to, to um, dive a bit deeper into what I said. Um, and yeah, um, actually, the client that I got replied to the newsletter where I said that I was offering copywriting services again. And she said, well, this is really great because I need French content. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, that was very timely. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to your services, I would also like to touch on SEO optimization. So you offer translation and SEO together. How would you how would you define that? Why is that important? Why isn't is it important that a translator is specialized in SEO if they do such translations? Um, I think that if you're a marketing translator um, and that you're working in digital marketing, you have to know a, at least a little bit of SEO because 
Um, some of my, my, some of your clients might ask you uh, to localize or to translate, you know, uh, Google ads or web pages and especially web pages. Um, you need to have a real strategy behind them, you know? So yeah, SEO, I'm pretty sure everyone knows what SEO is, right? <laughs> yeah, just in case we can we can explain. Uh, well, SEO stands for search engine optimization. So this is oh, I'm very bad at explaining things. Help me out. <laughs> um, I would say the first thing that comes to mind when it comes to SEO is keyword or keyword research, mm-hmm. or taking care that your website is ready for your clients so yes, it's a, yeah a set, this a is a really of... really basic explanation <laughs> yeah yeah it's tough to explain such a large concept um it's basically a set of strategies that you can put in place in order to be more visible in google research um in google research google results sorry um so yeah basically your main goal would be to appear on the first page um of Google uh, results. Um, And yeah, as you said, when you think about SEO, uh, people, actually many clients that have uh, reached out to me think that they just need to translate keywords, which is not really the case because, you know, there are so many things that go into SEO. like the the same strategy that they had um, for their source text, for their source website, they need to have it in each target language as well. Because, um, well, people don't necessarily search for the same things in other countries, right? Um, there's also a concept that's called uh, search intent or user intent. And that's um, looking at where the user is, you know, in terms of your marketing funnel, like what do they actually, what, what kind of information are they actually looking for, right? Are they only looking for information, you know, about, I don't know, dog food, for example, <laughs> um or mattresses um or are they more ready to buy your product so this needs to be taken into account um when you're designing your your blog articles or web pages so when you have your articles or web pages in different languages all of them do not need to look or sound the same, right? They need to be completely catered to your audience, to those searching for those terms. Yeah, and sometimes pages have to be rewritten. And I know that clients don't like to hear that, but it's actually (laughs) the case. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so how do you explain to them why that is important? Well, just... By going through what I've just told you, explaining, you know, the whole um, strategy behind it, that just because a keyword works on a market or in a country doesn't mean that it's going to have the same effect in Belgium, for example, because like for French, you have different types of French. You have 
French for Canada, French for Belgium, French French for France, French for Swiss, Switzerland, sorry. So yeah, you really have to pay attention to to the market and to to the users. Right. And you need to sometimes educate your client, which is okay. And mm -hmm. we are sometimes educated as clients because we don't we can't know everything. And yeah. we need we need some input, we need some education. So mm -hmm. the only thing that matters is that they are receptive. They want to hear from you, they want to listen to your advice and not go with the cheaper option. The cheaper and the quicker option. Yeah. 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 So I recently heard about the ABM rule, which means mm -hmm. always be marketing. I heard it on a podcast by Melanie Paget Powers. And I would like to talk to you about the ABM rule. How, mm -hmm. how do you get along with marketing? Do you have ups and downs? Do you have various seasons? What's your take on that? I actually love marketing. I don't know. I find it so thrilling. Um, I have this new rule that I really try to, to stick to, um, which is uh, eating the frog and doing my marketing first thing in the morning because I, then I know it's out of the way and I can focus on other things. Um, so yeah, I, I really try to incorporate marketing in uh, my daily routine whether it's just, you know, updating the website or updating my LinkedIn profile or reaching out to clients who have who I haven't worked in a while, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the most beneficial methods you used? So you mentioned uh, LinkedIn, newsletter, blog, so on. Yeah, but I feel like at the end of the day, it's just word of mouth, which is really frustrating yeah. because it's the <laughs> it's the less quantifiable method of them all. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I think it's a sum of each of these parts. You know, uh, every time you're doing a bit of marketing, you have to see it as uh, planting a seed, and you don't really know when you're going to reap the results, but at some point they're going to be there, and you never know. You never know where your next client uh, will come from, right? So, yeah, I think you have to really stick to it and be patient. And I say this uh, as the most impatient person on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, don't be surprised if, you're, if you don't reap the results of all, all your marketing efforts straight away because things take time and you never really know when, you know, um, you're going to speak to the right person at the right time. Yeah, and who knows when people will listen to this episode and reach out to you because of it. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> ABM is a really interesting concept. And actually, I didn't know about it until you spoke to me uh, about it last week. Um, and it's something that I unconsciously do, as in... In every interaction or in every situation that I have in the day, I'm trying to see it through the lens of how is this going to be beneficial for my business? You know, whether it's in an interaction on LinkedIn or whatever, like meeting someone, you know, in the lift at the office, you know. Yeah, you never know. And mm -hmm. we can sometimes run into clients at 
the most random occasions. One of my clients, I met him at a birthday party of our oh, mutual right. friend. It was really mm. random. No one nice. saw it coming. And we've been <laughs> working together for a few years now. So you never wow. know, right? It's a bit like friends, actually. You never know when you're going to meet your friends. Like, yeah. no joke. I've met two of my closest friends in a public bathroom, <laughs> which is totally <laughs> random, right? <laughs> I love this But story. But it's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is the, the point of this ABM conversation? You never know. Just be open to new opportunities and go to exactly. public bathrooms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So this was such a great conversation and I would like to round it up by asking you about the top business tips for freelancers and solo business owners. And you shared many of them, of course. Yeah, um, I think in this day and age, my most important tip would be to not forget about human connections. Um, you know, I... Say this as a translator, and as a translator, we tend to, you know, work from home. It's not my case anymore, but uh, I used to do that for uh, a couple of years. But yeah, we tend to work from home and, you know, be in our little cave and not, you know, go out in the world. But I feel like human connections are so important. And yeah, just jumping back on what we just said, I mean, you never know who's going to be your next client and it can. They can come from anywhere. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, human connections are just really, really important. And second tip would be do not see yourself as your client's employee. This is massively important. You have to know your limits. You have to stand your ground. And, yeah, you have to learn to say no, which is really hard. I know um, it's something that I struggle with. It's also an answer that I could have given to your uh, previous question. Uh, but yeah, it's so, so, so important for your mental health and the way you're seen, the way you're perceived also. So yeah. Right. Those are great tips. And I'm really happy that, that we connected on LinkedIn. So other than LinkedIn, where can my listeners find you and find out more about you and your business? Yeah, well, I'm mostly active on LinkedIn, but uh, yeah, I have my newsletter, which is uh, in the featured section on my LinkedIn profile. I also have a website and you can also find me on Instagram where I try to share some of the behind the scenes and, you know, daily life as a business owner. Awesome. Thank you, Emeline, for this conversation. I really enjoyed it and I kind of expected it to be this inspirational and motivational. So thank you for oh, your time. Thank you. Thank you, Anya, for having me. It was great. And thanks everyone for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.